0: I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. It's a good tuna, but I think I pay too much. I am the king of the ring. Coming at you from the Tomihisa Cho studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan, the art of Asia. It's the Japan What Podcast, episode 131. Ah. <laughs> This is the podcast covering AI trends in Japan, rising conflict in the Indo Pacific, the supply chain wars, Japan's depopulation and migration tendencies. And I am your host, Matthew PM Bigelow. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is uh, recording it a day later than usual. We had a national holiday yesterday. And as I am a family man now, have been for about three years, we uh, decided to. To skip the the usual schedule and, and go out and enjoy our lives in the parks of uh, of Japan and we live in Shinjuku so there's this giant park called Shinjuku wen we went there it's a nice place there's uh you have to pay to get in I used to not like it but once you have kids the pay to get in aspect keeps out a lot of the ruffians a lot of the knaves. And there's not a lot, you can't bring booze in there either. So all the party people have to go elsewhere, usually to Yoyogi Park, which is a a horrible uh, S-hole because it's dirty and uh, there's whatever goes on there. I used to go there quite a lot and it was really fun. But, you know, times change and you move on in life. So we did that, really fun. Also went up and uh, saw some family north of Tokyo, and uh, I had that experience that happens when you're a dad where the kids are all excited and then by the time you're almost home, they they just collapse into their own sleep world and there's no waking them up and you got to carry them home from some, you know, the train station and go up the stairs of the apartment because you live in a walk up and you put them in a bed and then they, they don't even wake up and they're just gone. And that was actually... A very rewarding experience. I saw a picture of it, and um uh it it affirmed the decision to to settle down and have have a family for sure for me uh to to because i I'd just been dinks with my then girlfriend for a long time, and it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. but I remember one morning seeing um like at eight thirty in the morning watching a father holding his daughter's hand who was about two and a half years old. Uh, taking her out to a park, or maybe they were going to preschool or something like that. And I was kind of thinking, I'm not sure if I want to go through my whole life without ever experiencing uh, such things. And yeah, so I did. (laughs) And it was awesome. It was great. But we are very busy bees today, people. We are not screwing around. We got the the studio booked here for one reason and one reason and only, and that's the podcast. And that's what we're going to do right now. Let's take a look at some of the um, the news for today. Um, I have the 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 titles are, are always changing depending on where the data leads me. You know, in pandemic, stupid COVID, we always heard the experts say, we follow the science and the science is spoken. And you went, oh, that sounds so dumb. And everybody said, whoa, if you think that's dumb, then you're dumb because the science is spoken. <laughs> so now I just say, the, I go where the data leads me and the data has spoken. <laughs> Sounds so dumb. But uh, I used to cover new uh, products, and then it was like new services. And then it's just, I'm going to change it to it's OMGWTF exclamation point. And this new one um, uh, ooh, uh, is going to be, <laughs> I clicked on the wrong link. It led me to somewhere interesting, but so does this. Undersea wine aging hoped to boost southwestern Japan island economy. This comes to us from the Mainichi, Japan's national daily since 1922. So this isn't really a new product. It's not really a new service. But it's certainly something new. And, you know, Japan is famous for these uh, approaches that you've never really heard before. Uh, So this is called It's OMG WTF. And clickbait for the search and, and optimization, you algorithms. Amami from Japan. A Tokyo firm is pinning hopes that the aging of wine at an undersea cellar off Amani-Oshima Island in Kagoshima Prefecture, southwestern Japan, will help revive the local economy. Now, I'm just going to interject. If you ever have the chance to go to these islands in southwestern Kyushu, I'm very jealous. I've been all over Japan, but I have not been around Kyushu much. Uh, And I certainly have not been to these islands that they got going on there. And it just seems like a real funky place, man. Like, they're they're up to something down there. They're a little bit more outgoing, too. The northern Japanese people on Honshu in Tohoku area, very conservative, very, very, like, almost like they're just waiting in their own world and they don't really, they're friendly and they're nice and they can be trusted and everything, but there's not a lot of gregariousness in that culture for the most part, my experience, but down in the Southern Kyushu area, it's like it's warm and they got booze everywhere and they're just like, let's party. That's, That's why they're throwing these wine bottles into the ocean to cool them off. And like, maybe this will help our industry. Underwater aging of wine is a widely held practice around the world, as submerged conditions consistent at relatively cool temperatures, higher pressure and the absence of excessive light are suitable for wine to gracefully mature. But the process is, quote, rarely practiced in Japan, said Yui Moritani, the 38-year-old president of a public relations firm in Tokyo that began the project. In late January, about 500 bottles of European wine in stainless steel cages were lowered to the seafloor at a depth of about 20 meters off the town of Setouchi in the southern part of the island. The firm opened a restaurant serving wine in the town in November. Most of the bottles submerged in January will be left in the sea until June to be served for customers in July. Some of them will be aged longer to figure out the right maturation period for the optimal taste. The company also plans to provide an underwater aging service for wine bottles entrusted by customers in the future. Ooh, that's perfect for rich people. That's perfect. And then you can deliver the wine bottle. It's like, it's fresh from the ocean, sir. Yes, indeed. I need my ocean wine and I need it now. I am rich. Moritani also hopes the project will improve the environment. With the underwater wine cellar serving as an artificial reef to attract fish and a local seaweed bed, which will absorb carbon dioxide. You have to do that these days. If you're not part of the green movement, you may as well be Hitler. So good on you, Moritana, Moritana Moritani-san. You are not Hitler because you said absorbed carbon dioxide. A driver who helped sink the wine, a diver, sorry, a diver who helped sink the wine bottle said that water in the area is warmer than typical temperatures for aging wine, measuring 21 degrees Celsius on January 30th, but that there is a merit in that the wine can age rapidly in such conditions. Quote, the most significant challenge is whether wine can make it through the summer in the warm water, Moritani said. and of the article. Short and sweet. I'll be taking a picture of the diver uh, putting the uh, wine in the underwater uh, cellar uh, up onto the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. I, I used to only post a few links up to there, but ever since um, the world got a little bit weirder and crazier, and then my focus on things like AI and uh, rising conflict. Sometimes it sounds like um, people will be like, well, that's a racist conspiracy theory. And I want to be like, no, 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 it's not. It's not. It's on the website. Here's the link. And there's a picture right there for you as well. So I kind of serve it, put it up there as a a archive, I guess, at MatthewPMBigelow.com. And if you're interested in AI and the Indo-Pacific and what's going on in China and Taiwan and how it connects to Japan and all that and the supply chain wars, from a japanese perspective i suggest going over to matthewpmbigalow.com regularly and checking out the links reading some of the articles i don't read all of the articles in in their entirety so it's some people go there and check it out and they comment and send me messages and stuff like that i think it's pretty cool it's i didn't intend for it to serve as an archive for online readers but it's not a big part of the percentage of the traffic that comes to the website but it's Edging up month on month. So thank you for checking it out. I appreciate it. Let's take a look next at some crazy numbers coming out of Japan. And for that, we use this. Japan. Now, because of the um, the way that the yen is denominated... We don't have dollars and cents. They used to in Japan called sen and Rin, things like that. But uh, I think during the Meiji Restoration, they when the Bank of Japan, I don't know what happened, but they got rid of it all because of hyperinflation and they standardized it just into yen. So we have one yen is one cent, 100 yen is a dollar basically. Although when you do the conversions these days because of the weekend, it doesn't add up. But when you think about it, when your day-to-day living expenditures, that's how you calculate it, so... A thousand yen is ten dollars, ten thousand yen is a hundred dollars, a hundred thousand yen is a thousand dollars, and then a million yen is ten thousand dollars. So once you start edging up there, and it's like a hundred million yen is a million dollars, and then you get into a billion yen, and that's ten million dollars. So it, 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 once you get into the billions and trillions, it sounds really crazy, but once you Take a shave off a couple of digits off the end of the um, number there at the tail of the zeros, the long tail of the long zeros, and recombobulate the figures. It's still pretty crazy, but it's not as crazy. But we're going to take a look at crazy and extra crazy Japanese numbers today. And we're going to start with my alumni, SoftBank. I worked at SoftBank from 2015 to 2020. The pandemic happened. They moved their headquarters. I was a teacher uh, kind of focusing on AI markets at the time. And even then, like... It got pretty wacky with all that crazy crap happening in China with their facial recognition and, and social credit score. And that was just what was big at the time. And I'm not sure if they wanted that to be the focus of their employees study. So it was like it was and they were putting a lot of pressure on me to teach like 50 classes a week and stuff like that. So it was like, all right, it's over. That's fine with me. So chalk up our successes. I learned a lot, got paid and you learned a lot from me and uh, it's over and it's good and we're all good. Everything's good. I still meet up with some of the people that I uh, worked with at SoftBank and and we're all good. It's all good. I like the company. SoftBank group marks return to profit as it cuts vision fund losses. Uh, so, so those of you who don't know, and depending on where you are in the world, SoftBank kind of has a different image um, those of you from China may consider SoftBank as an investor company into Chinese startups, famously originally uh, investing in Alibaba company, but um, uh, they also uh, invested into some of the uh, Tencent, I believe, got some money, and um, uh, Megville uh, or uh, so some of the other um, uh, image recognition companies in China. Uh, I know that the... Japan computer vision company, which is a basically a, a vision fund startup, um, uses their data set but doesn't use their their servers or anything like that. So there's this kind of relationship investor relationship uh, image going on with SoftBank in China, and then in America, SoftBank is uh, kind of popular in Silicon Valley. And during the late 2010s, it invested 100 billion dollars into the AI. Ecosphere and also SoftBank owned Sprint, which is a telecommunications company. In Japan, SoftBank is largely known as a telecommunications company, one of the major three, and it also is now known for um, investing in more and more technologies, over the horizon technologies, and so on. So the vision fund was the original $100 billion investment that um son, the CEO, in collaboration with a lot of Saudi money from uh, MBS, um, bin Salman, Mohammed bin Salman, or M- Mr. Bonesaw, if you're familiar with the Khashoggi story. Um, no offense to anyone, that's just the scuttlebutt of the internet. Uh, but the, they put together that $100 billion valuation and ended up losing a lot of money. Last week, I covered AI scoundrels. And that's because, it, just like with the crypto markets, there's a lot of scoundrels in the AIOSphere uh, because of the amount of <clears throat> um, capability that AI can demonstrate, but fail to deliver. And so you can get people kind of making a big show, get a hundred million dollars investment, fold the company, and then move away to you know d- enjoy the rest of their lives with fat bank accounts. It happened a few times, most notably be no, most notably with WeWork, but. Um, SoftBank seems to be coming back. The amount of uh, investments that they're making in technologies kind of means that some of it's going to pay off and pay off big. And let's take a look at the numbers that demonstrate these. This is written by Yuri Kagayama. Japanese technology conglomerate SoftBank Group returned to profitability in October, December after four straight quarters in the red. Tokyo-based SoftBank reported a 950 billion yen profit for the October-December quarter, a reversal from a 783 billion yen loss in the same period a year earlier. Big numbers, right? It remained in the red for the rest of the nine months of the fiscal year that ends in March. Its 458.7 billion yen loss for April to to December was still an improvement from the 912.5 billion yen loss a year earlier. Nine-month sales at SoftBank rose 2.6 to 5 trillion yen. Quarterly sales rose 5% to 1.77 trillion yen. SoftBank, which invests in companies such as Yahoo Japan, still being in Japan, by the way, T-Mobile, Alibaba, and Line, the app, it's like the, the, the main messaging app for a lot of Asian countries now, said it reduced its losses related to its array of investments called the Vision Fund. Uh, But it added losses from its holding in Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba. But the company, led by visionary billionaire Masayoshi Sun, has also invested in WeWork and the listing of British semiconductor and software design company Arm on the NASDAQ, the IPO, in September, netted 674 billion yen in proceeds. SoftBank, which owns a 96, 90%, 90.6% stake in ARM, said it sees great potential in ARM because of the AI applications and everything else. Uh, everything uses, it's one of the major um, chip manufacturers in the world, and uh, they have a big chunk of that, so good for SoftBank. So, um, a lot of the times the pandemic meant everybody was losing lots of money, especially if you're doing R&D in the consumer markets because everybody was locked down and there's this weird move by the... Uh, G seven countries and Europe and the World Economic Forum to take AIoA and do it their own way, which will be terrible, and it'll be it'll leave the technology nerfed and neutered and bleeding on the floor, but still in control of our lives with subpar applications. So hopefully, that companies like SoftBank can exercise leadership and uh, bring forth the true AI revolution, uh, so that we can get rid of middle managers and have mm, a lot of automation between um, what we need done in terms of data management and having fewer people screwing it up for the rest of us. If you've, if you've ever had to deal with multiple, multiple middle managers with Excel spreadsheets that, and they don't have the same spreadsheets and they don't update them at the same time, All that stuff, uh, it causes a lot of glut and slowdown. And then people are arrogant as well. They, I have the right data. If that can just be automated in the cloud, uh, people would be able to move very quickly with their projects and not have the arrogance of uh, really unqualified managers uh, shitting down your throats all day. So there's that. That's the first crazy, crazy news. A lot of billions, a few trillions in there. Profitability for SoftBank Corp. Good on them. The next one is from japantoday.com and from their business section. And this is Japan's total debt swells to record 1,286.45 trillion yen in 2023. Now, if you're like me, you hate this number because that's not how we use English numbers it would be like saying i made a thousand million dollars you mean what oh you mean a billion i made um 1100 dollars what what are you talking about we have number we have a way to do this i made 10000 dollars oh really that's good oh the company netted 150000 last year oh very good uh, but imagine saying it netted Oh, you mean 1.15 million? Yeah, okay. Now this says in the headline here, 1,286.5 trillion yen. Why not just say 1.2 quadrillion yen? Why do you have to put that number in there, idiots? Japan's reached a debt record of 1.2, or we can round up, of a record of about 1.3 quadrillion yen or $8.6 trillion at the end of 2023 U.S. dollars. Government data showed Friday uh, reflecting its heavy reliance on borrowing to meet spending needs to fight the COVID-19 pandemic and rising prices. Now, the response to the COVID-19 pandemic, which I've always argued was totally crazy and always wrong, Shutting down the economy, printing all the money, giving money to everybody to stay home, was going to have just horrible ramifications, especially in our modern economies, which relied on just-in-time delivery and uh, heavy presence of people participating in the consumer markets based on the amount of money they're making in their salaries and stuff like that. You just can't turn it all off and turn it on again. It's not, It's. it's not. what is this, something like... Uh, it's not a light switch, you know? It's a power plant. You just can't say, turn the power plant off, turn it on, turn it off, turn it on. You know, it doesn't work that way. Uh, so the debt, more than twice the size of the Japanese economy, increased 29.45 trillion yen from December 2022. The debt includes government bonds, borrowing, and financials. As of December 31st, the total debt consisted of trillion yen in government bonds, or 1.1 quadrillion yen in government bonds, 48.09 trillion yen in borrowing, and 92.30 trillion yen in financing bills, the finance ministry showed data. Japan's gross domestic product was roughly 600 trillion yen in nominal terms, according to the government's data currently available for the July to September quarter. So I I don't know what's going to happen with the Japanese economy. The yen is depreciating like crazy. Um, The U.S. is seeing a massive uh, decrease in its uh, its dollar use. We're going to get to that a little bit later. And Japan has always kind of, in the post-World War II period, relied on uh, borrowing underneath the American model. So if this American model sees a massive hit, will Japan's economy be able to uh, manage such uh, ways of financing itself I don't know why Japan spends this much money um, not exactly quite sure we'll see where it goes though but that's that's the crazy numbers for today thank you very much crazy numbers Japan um. We're going to do a little bit of Japan Society 5.0 later. But because I moved mentioned that um, de-dollarization, um, I'm going to actually move up a a, a a segment here. And it, it is about de-dollarization. And I, I, I went and re-listened to a podcast I recorded a few years ago. It's the Japan What Podcast. And then I talked about China's militarization of the supply chains. And towards the end of the segment, I, I got into the Japan aspect of the supply chains, but we are all downstream somewhere of the global supply chain network. And so the reason why I cover things like the de-dollarization aspect or the supply chain wars that are going on with China, it's one belt, one road policy, what's going on in the uh, Middle East a little bit is because Japan is highly reliant on shipping routes. It's a major shipbuilding country and it relies Extensively for its economy to operate on imports and exports of the supply chain. So when we see major shifts going on outside of the G7 supply chain um, world, it's worth noting because that's going to come back and affect us later. Just not the same way, but kind of going, wait, if we shut down the economy because of COVID. And then make everybody stay home. Isn't that going to have negative consequences for us later? And everybody said, we got not even one life is too much. We got to shut it down. And so that having that way of thinking is not good right now at all. So by analyzing what's going on outside of Japan that's pertinent to Japan, we can kind of see that we're downstream or downwind or these, these these events will affect us later, probably in a negative way. I'm going to be very honest about that. The de-dollarization that's going on right now around the world, if Japan and its borrowing is tied to the u.s dollar and then we see the u.s economy not doing very well anymore and the european economy is wanting to greenify and the japanese leaders as well saying we need to greenify well how are you supposed to make money based on that amount of spending that doesn't bring in that much money but still service that much debt while printing that much money so it's a it's a real kerfuffle it's a real pickle i would like to say uh but what i'd like to do is I'd like to play a short excerpt from the interview that, um, the American journalist, Tucker Carlton, <laughs> Tucker Carlton, Tucker Carlson conducted with, uh, uh, Russian president Vladimir Putin a couple of, about a week ago now. Um, the reason why I'm, it's a three minute segment, but it's uh, Vladimir Putin talking about the world shifting to de-dollarization, uh, and just like, as an aspect, Japan was all in on kicking Russia out of the SWIFT system because Japan follows the American model. All of the sanctions on Russia don't seem to have had much of an effect. In fact, Russia is now the leading European economy, and um, it's it's doing a lot more business outside of the U.S. dollar. And Putin talks about it in this interview. I'm going to link it up at MatthewPmbigelow.com. It's only a three-minute segment about like that from like a two-hour interview. So even though a lot of people saw the, uh, the interview in segments or kind of know about it, they don't really talk about much the de-dollarization aspect of the interview. I'm going to play that just because we're tracking that on the podcast, especially in terms of Avoiding using using the U.S. dollars with countries that that Japan shares maritime borders with. And in this case, it's Russia and China. So let's listen to the interview. I'll cue it up with some horns.
1: You know, to use the dollar as a tool of foreign policy struggle is one of the biggest strategic mistakes made by the US political leadership. The dollar is the cornerstone of the United States power. I think everyone understands very well that no matter how many dollars are printed, they are quickly dispersed all over the world percent вот, uh, uh, inflation in the United States is minimal it's about three or three point four percent which is I think totally acceptable for the. US but they won't stop printing what does the debt of 33 trillion dollars tell us about it is about the emission political решение dollar of Nevertheless, it is the main weapon used by the United States to preserve its power across the world. As soon as the political leadership decided to use the US dollar as a tool of political struggle, a blow was dealt to this American power. I would not like to use any strong language, but it is a stupid thing to do and a grave mistake. Look at what is going on in the world. Even the United States allies are now downsizing their dollar reserves. Seeing this, everyone starts looking for ways to protect themselves. But the fact that the United States applies restrictive measures to certain countries, such as placing restrictions on transactions, freezing assets, etc., causes great concern and sends a signal to the whole world. Gangsters. What did we have here? Until 2022, about 80% of Russian foreign trade transactions were made in U.S. dollars and euros. U.S. dollars accounted for approximately 50% of our transactions with third countries, while currently it is down to 13%. It wasn't us who banned the use of the U.S. dollar. We had no such intention. It was decision of the United States to restrict our transactions in US dollars. I think it is complete foolishness from the point of view of the interests of the United States itself and its taxpayers, as it damages the US economy, undermines the power of the United States across the world. By the way, our transactions in yuan accounted for about 3%. Today, 34% of our transactions are made in rubles, and about as much, a little over 34%, in yuan. Why did the United States do this? My only guess is self-conceit. They probably thought it would lead to full collapse, but nothing collapsed. Moreover, other countries, including oil producers, are thinking of and already accepting payments for oil in Yuan. Do you even realize what is going on or not? Does anyone in the United States realize this? No. What are you doing? You are cutting yourself off. All experts say this. Ask any intelligent and thinking person in the United States what the dollar means for the U.S. You're killing it with your own hands.
0: All right. I'm not going to here, sit here and be some Putin supporter, but... Uh... It's weird that uh, I've been saying a lot of the same things and a lot of people all over the world have been saying a lot of the same things uh, regarding America's policy with the dollar right now. And if we're strapped into it in Japan as a Canadian in Japan, very little you can do about it, by the way, except strap in and enjoy the ride. All right. Now a little bit of Japan Society 5.0.
2: The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The 4th Industrial Revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us from the stress of driving, allowing us to safely visit anyone, anytime. We will have access to the latest medical advancements at a low cost, no matter where we are. AI and robots will enhance human ability and expand our infinite possibilities, helping us enjoy more fulfilling lives.
0: All right. So that is, of course, the Japan Society 5.0 promotional video released by the Japanese government about 2017 now. Uh, I mentioned earlier I worked at SoftBank as a teacher. Focusing on AI trends, did that for five years and ever since then been following AI trends in Japan and putting them into this podcast and archiving them at Um Today, <clears throat> a couple of ideas. It, before I begin, Japan Society 5.0 has been evolving and changing since that time. A lot of those products in the, like, the mid mid-2010s to late-2010s, drone delivery, self-driving cars, all of these things were already supposed to be kind of proliferating everywhere they haven't at all uh, but AI sure has in terms of chat bots or management tools and things like that so just like with any new technology it's it gets captured and then it gets released or some other people find a way to get around the existing um, uh, ways of of encroaching encroachment by the, uh, government restrictions and stuff like that so the government will be like we need more drones for every blah 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 but then the government will also say due to our laws these drones can't exist so you know i'm from the government and i'm here to help it has a big impact on japan society 5.0 and even now the leaders of the keidan ran japan's uh, most powerful business lobby stand in front of pick like posters that say japan society for self uh, for sdgs um, I can't remember. I can't, There's just the SDGs, there's the DEIs, uh, sustainable development goals. Geez, then there's like the, the sustainable development of the United Nations 17 goals, and it's kind of been captured a lot of the time be, between them. But what we're going to begin with today is a weird one. Um, by going back to the Mainichi Japan's national daily since 1922. Japan firms unveil prototype model of robots that can babysit in car. And of course, I'll be showing a picture of this at MatthewPMBigalow.com. A prototype model of two robots that assist with babysitting in moving vehicles was unveiled by Nissan Motor Co. and baby product shop operator Co. on January 31st. I'm a full supporter of Akachan Honpo, by the way. If you have a kid in Japan, go to Akachan Honpo, and you will get everything you need there and more. The stuffed toy-shaped robot, Idio idio means I'm here, yo, I'm here, yo, I'm here, yo, I'm here, comforts the baby in the back seat on behalf of the parent in the driver's seat and tells the parent whether the baby is asleep or awake. When driving a car with an infant, it is recommended that the child's seat be installed rearward-facing for safety reasons, but it is difficult to see the baby's face and condition from the driver's seat. The two companies conducted a survey of approximately 1,100 parents with children aged one year and six months or younger and found that more than 60% of the parents said they drive alone at least one or two days a week with their child. The most common concerns included, quote, not being able to comfort the baby when they cry while driving. I must have like a weird mental thing going on right now. I was like, I thought, confront the baby. I talked a lot about how great it is being a dad, but it was like my three-year-old was acting like a real crazy psycho this morning <laughs> we had to confront him not comfort him <laughs> and quote feeling uneasy about uh, about not being able to monitor the baby's condition in the rear facing seat so the newly developed robots uh, but called idio will be installed with one facing the baby in the back seat and the other near the driver's seat when the driver says idio Ina uh, inai or, you know, that means peekaboo, and two other phrases to the nearby robot, the other one will wave its hands and make other movements to soothe the baby. The robot, that's actually not a bad idea. Uh, young kids are very easily distracted. So having a fuzzy little robot, If uh, I'll, I'll post these pictures onto the website, like I said, but it's not like some weird tech robot. It's basically a stuffed toy that waves its arms around based on Um, neural and linguistic programming. The robot in the back seat also uses a camera to detect changes in the baby's facial expressions. It sends this information to the robot near the driver's seat, which tells the driver whether the baby is awake or asleep through the opening and closing of its eyes. So... On one hand, you get a little distraction for your baby, but on the other hand, you get a little surveillance capitalism and data transmission going around. Where else is the data being sent? Can this data be hacked remotely? Can you have Chinese hackers looking at your baby in the backseat of the car or uh, creating profiles based on what the hackers can see from the robot's camera? In the products in the car, the type of car, the type of seats you have, all these are real economic indicators of, of creating consumer profiles based on highly private data that you're not even sure you're sharing. You just think the robot's looking at your baby, but what's it really doing? It's mapping the inside of your car and creating consumer profiles, potentially, if the security is not up to snuff. A person in charge of the development explained they hope to utilize the prototype model in future technological developments to support child rearing. Uh, All right. So there we go. Would you... So, like, this is the idea, is that I don't mind facial recognition technology in public spaces if I know that it's being used. I don't like the idea of it being used everywhere all the time because it's not that good yet. It makes a lot of mistakes when when you transfer... One setting to another setting with AI technology. But if you're in, for example, a department store, or if you're in a stadium, or if you're in a gas station, you can develop AI camera technology to suit the needs of those places quite easily. And if you're in a stadium, the background is very similar all over the place, and the actions are also very similar. People sitting, standing up, walking to shops, and then it's very standardized as an environment as well. So are department stores, and so are gas stations. But one thing that's very different are like the the little streets between the department store and the gas station and the uh stadium all the shading changes the trees are different the backgrounds are different the colors are different um so and then people are also when they go into a stadium you usually take off your jacket and you're looking at something very directly and the cameras can see clearly because there's lighting everywhere and you're either excited or bored it's a great place for accurate surveillance but as soon as you leave those places, people are distracted. They're looking at their phone. They're angry at their kid. Then they're holding their kid. And then somebody's, they're talking on the phone. Like the, the amount of actions and the amount of background changes so rapidly, the AI just, it can't keep up with that much change in that quick of um, uh, setting changes. It just, at this point, it cannot. So, but in terms of having it inside of a car, That's your personal space. And that's where I kind of personally draw the line. I don't mind having an IOT society. If the technology is there, it kind of has to be used in such ways, I believe, the clear demarcation between zones. But as soon as it's like the Roomba was a robot that was cleaning your floors and then it put in cameras and then it started mapping your house and sending the maps of your house to data servers somewhere and us. It was for advertising purposes like, oh, look, you have enough space here for a cabinet. Maybe you'll receive an advertisement for a cabinet or, or maybe your house is really sunny so you can have like a sunroom uh, products over here and it would advertise that to you. I'm not sure what they were doing, but... This um, this nudging, this salami slicing of putting surveillance technology always under the guise of uh, you know being useful for your daily life is cleaning your house. It's taking care of your son or your daughter, baby. They're not facing you. You can put this there and it will say, we're here and it will distract them. But at the same time, it's mapping, it's transmitting data. And we got to really be careful to parse be ready to parse what what we're ready what we're willing to accept or not. Now, if let's just say there's like a a school for very young children and they have to put them in a car like a microbus or a minibus and drive them from one place to another place, maybe such robots would be useful there because uh, they would be able to calm children down and the the driver could drive more easily without having to worry about taking care of the crazy kids that are crying everywhere. And then also it provides like a record. What if there's an accident? What if somebody breaks into the bus? What if there's a kidnapping? The camera on the robot is there as like a security measure. Okay, now we're talking about something different. Do you care if a company somewhere profiles the consumer data on the inside of a bus so much? I don't know. That would be up to you to decide. But for me, I'd be kind of willing to say, well, the amount of security I gain or the amount of tracking for car accidents and insurance policies and determining liability far exceeds understanding what my kid is wearing that day. So I would be able to kind of say, well, as long as the the information is distributed in case an accident happens and we all can access the camera data, I'd be open to it. Something like that. And like, I'm kind of going on a little bit of a jag here about it, but that's how we're, that's in my opinion, how responsible people living in an AI society should be parsing these solutions that are being introduced to us. Now, if you don't care and you just want the robots in your car, sending all the data everywhere, power to you, more power to you. Next one. Um, I got quite a bit here. (sighs) we're, we're going to do one more here and then we'll, then we'll wrap up society 5.0. We have some victories to celebrate. Um, this is from jetro.geo.jp and jetro is Japan's external trade organization. And this is called AI 2.0 because AI 1.0 that was the um, Japan society 5.0 didn't really go anywhere. Did it Japan opens up the tomorrow of solving social issues. So again, we get into this thing where we're not going to have drone deliveries and medical deliveries and all these things that kind of make society look cool. We're just going to talk about things that suck and how technology can make them better. Um, JETRO is the Japan External Trade Organization. I guess they're investing. They want to attract investment and things like that too. AI meets the needs of society. This was published very recently, by the way. When was it published? February, 2024. With the explosion of interest in how artificial intelligence can be harnessed to meet the needs of society, the public and private sectors are coming together. Public and private sectors usually means the World Economic Forum and the government, by the way, that, that's that, those red flags, are coming together in Japan to create solutions and products that combine the country's long history of pre- preeminence in robotics with AI learning. Industry experts and policymakers agree that such innovations will be an important aspect of the Japanese economy in the future as a declining workforce creates the need for higher productivity in such important areas as high-tech manufacturing and healthcare. The only reason I'm reading this for today is that um, uh, I'm trying to map how the government is changing its approach to AI and uh, a lot of cultural um, indicators are also saying we need, you know, like, focus on migration and workforce and declining population and get away from consumer needs. Um, issues to be solved by the use of AI in Japan. Japan is a leader in exploring the use of AI to respond to labor shortages and growing nursing care needs due to the declining birth rate and population, aging population. The number of people aged 65 and over in Japan has increased from less than 5% of the population in 1950 to over 28% in 2019. It's probably a little bit higher since then because fewer and fewer people are having babies. COVID. All of this will vastly increase the need for medical facilities with fewer people. More broadly, the range of applicable applicable sectors includes disaster response, agricultural agricultural medical care and communications, as well as fields such as materials, science and cultural activities, Japanese AI at work, and... um, I'm just going to read this one here because it. Uh, I'll I'll read some of the other subheaders if in case you're interested in reading this at MatthewPMBigelow.com. Foreign investors participate in the IM, AI systems market. Japan's AI market continues to grow and then learn more. But we're going to just focus on one thing called Japanese AI at work. One of the participants in this area is the fast-growing, quote, made-in-Japan and, quote, startup-preferred networks. The company, founded in 2014, focuses on research and development for deep learning. Its robotics spin off, Preferred Robotics, showcased its uh, Kachaka Autonomous Mobile Robot at the January 2024 CES consumer electronics show trade show in Las Vegas in order to show Japanese innovation to the world equipped with AI and powered by the technologies of global leader Qualcomm Kachaka delivers a mobile storage unit upon verbal request to make life at home more comfortable and relaxing now this is we we'll finally get to the example and it delivers a more mobile storage unit upon verbal request to make life at home more comfortable some examples, please. Why, why, why would you just leave it there in the middle of a p- paragraph? We don't even know what... Why would you need a mobile storage unit to make life more easy? I don't know. Quote, I think that through large language models, we are now witnessing a breakthrough moment for robotics. With investments into improving what robotics can do, there will be great impact on robot technology. We are now focusing on collaboration of LLM and robots. This is the most important theme for us, said Toru Isobe, CEO of Preferred Robotics, which uh, who brings experience in the field from long experience as an engineer at Toyota and Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. This guy's not screwing around. It also talks about AI cancer treatment, um, and it also talks about the Japanese government making AI an important area of discussion for the G7 Um, And the result was the Hiroshima AI process covered on the podcast extensively during that time under the AI strategy council, Japan has been working to promote AI while ensuring it is used properly and has the appropriate rules to enable cross-border interoperability. That's free flow data with trust. Another um, hacky, stupid captured way of trying to, Nerf everything while making it accessible to everybody. That's what that's the middle manager. So the middle managers really don't want to be replaced. But in my opinion, if we can replace all of the middle managers, it'll make AI cool because AI can be whatever you want it to be. But middle managers make everything they touch bland, uninteresting, slow, regulated. And dumb. So, we need to get rid of the AI uh, managers and, and middle managers and let AI, uh, let AI, and let people experiment with AI to find the solutions before they are actually regulated rather than regulating the solutions before they're actually found. And that's going to be Japan Society 5.0 for today.
2: The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0 A technology-based, human-centered society. The Fourth Industrial Revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face.
0: One thing that I've been focusing on extensively for the past year has been the weird movement to get people in Japan, especially kids, to eat bugs. And we have some victories for the end of today's show.
2: I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time though, okay? Okay. I've got one. I've got one. I'm going to go catch that one. No, finish the one that you have in your mouth first.
0: All right, so a lot of these bug people, and I like to call them the bug people, because if you're pushing bugs, especially onto children, why should we give you a kind name? Should you not just be called bug people? So the bug people are now, after their um, extensive amounts of efforts to push bugs onto the kids, and this is always the way, not always, but... By and large, this is frequently the way it goes. Um, they say uh, eating bugs has always been a part of your culture. And then they'll show a picture, like a painting of some people in a river, like holding a bug and eating it. And they say, look, it's your culture. And all these students go, wow, our culture is important in Japan. If that's our culture, well, then that's us. And then then the bug people will say, and that's why we've uh, opened up this factory on the edge of your town. It's uh, producing crickets. And we'll be able to produce 20 tons of protein a month. And we'll grind it up and put it into your bread or pancakes. And that's how you'll eat it because it's your culture. And they go, what? Okay, we'll try. And then they try it and everybody goes on the news. And they're like, look, it's the bugs. People are finally doing it. Or are they? IT business in detail goes bankrupt. The group's edible cricket farming business is sluggish. Total debt Two hundred and forty-two point nine million yen. This comes to us from the Hokkaido Shimbun, the newspaper, and it's not the full article because it's behind a paywall. But I'm going to read this first paragraph, anyways. Uh, It was announced on the 31st that, in detail, which is involved in the IT business, and two group companies have received a decision from the Sapporo District Court to begin bankruptcy proceedings. (laughs) In addition to the company's sluggish business performance, the edible cricket farming business run by a subsidiary did not get off the ground. Woo! And the business was suspended at the end of last year. According to Takehokudetta Bank Sapporo branch, the total debt of the three companies is woo, 242.9 million yen or roughly 2 million dollars. <laughs> Screw you guys you suck. Um, and there's one more that we get to announce as well. One more victory. It's nice having victories, isn't it? Even though, you know, it's not really, I didn't really have much to do with any of these victories. Uh, but I would like to say that, um, maybe I had a little bit. This next one comes to us from a different article and it's exerted, um, It's where, where is it from? Sorry. This one's from Money Voice. Uh, it's a Japanese site. As again, it's translated. They talk about the same company that I was just mentioning. Um, but it goes on to... The recession of insect food-related companies is now noticeable. Speaking of trends in insect food-related companies, it was recently reported that the pet food division of the Cricket Research Institute of Tokushima University-based venture company Grilas will be shut down, yeah. The the reason for the closure was said to be the soaring cost of the raw materials used to feed the crickets, as well as the fact that cricket farming itself was affected by the climate, which led to a slump in sales. Are they blaming climate change? Are they blaming inflation? But I thought that according to the sales tactics for the past few years... The crickets just grow with nothing, and they produce protein for everybody, and that's your culture. We're going to put it in your bread, and you're going to like it. You you will eat the bugs. There was talk that the edible cricket industry was expanding in Japan as well, but now there are a number of reports that suggest that it is in decline, which is welcomed by those who have been negative about eating insects for some time, like me, and I'm assuming like you as well, dear listener, Mr. Listener, or Ms. Listener. It seems that there are many voices saying that. In the first place, the reason why crickets and other insect foods are attracting attention all over the world is that while the world's population is expected to reach 10 billion people by 2050, it is important to secure protein, an important nutrient. This is because there are predictions, not, not it's just predictions, that a food crisis will occur. Yeah, like Fauci saying in 2017, that Trump will be encountered by a virus. Therefore, compared, look it up. Therefore, compared to conventional livestock, such as chickens, pigs, and cows, it is possible to ingest protein more efficiently. It goes on from there. Uh, the, okay, so anyways, the pet food is going down. The other one is going down. Hopefully, more will go down. We're not gonna eat the bugs. These people need to be relegated to the dustbin of history. They need just to be like eccentric billionaires with their own little clubs that that don't go into our schools and make kids eat bugs and tell them it's their culture and that it's the future uh, because. I don't know why are they lizard people that's one argument i've heard lizard people have been living among us for a long time and they really want the normalization of bugs so they took over the government and they want us to eat the bugs so that they can go to galas and eat bugs themselves and not have to stick out like weird um, lizard people (laughs) to do so that's a pretty weird idea it's kind of fun to talk about it though uh but the other idea is uh People are getting tired of of maintaining the supply chains. They would rather just poor people eat all the bugs. They can live on the farms like Zuckerberg in Hawaii, feed their cows macadamia nuts and beer, and just gouge on the highest grade organic uh, beef, chicken, pork, whatever, and all the veggies that they can grow. Uh, into feasts every day, and then go on TV and say, "Just eat the bugs." Watch their stock goes up as it's invested in in, um, in 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 bubble ventures led by Larry Fink of BlackRock and so on, to give everybody the impression that we're all leading leading something to somewhere, but really it's just a bridge to nowhere. I'm gonna eat all
2: the bugs. Okay, you're just gonna eat them one at a time, though. Okay. Okay. I've got one. I've got one. I'm going to go catch that one. You'll finish the one that you have in your mouth first.
0: All right, and we're going to stop it there for today. Um, we'll be doing another podcast later on this week as well, so make sure to tune in for that. So thank you very much. Uh, please go to matthewpambigalow.com to check out the links, the photos, and more. We also, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash japanwut. We're also part of the podcasting 2.0 infrastructure. What's that, huh? Well, all you need to do is download a new podcast app such as Podverse, Podguru, Podfans, and more. And it allows the user to send Bitcoin directly to the podcaster, like me. It also is a way to prevent the centralization of the podcatosphere and to have people able to say what they want without the threat of strange algorithms that have been nerfed by middle managers in major companies such as Spotify, YouTube, Google, and others. Uh, to determine what the listener should be listening to rather than the listener determining what the listener should listen to. So make sure to go to matthewpmbigelow.com for all of those ideas and more. And also think about it, paypal.me forward slash japanwut or simply download a podcast app, listen to the Japan What Podcast, link to it on social media, give us some traffic and more, and we appreciate you. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to today's show. You found it coming at you from the armpit of Asia, episode 131 of the Japan Web Podcast. Until next time, everybody, Ja Mata Ne! Matthew P. M. Bigelow.com